Good morning, everybody. I'm really excited to get to bring the word to you again this morning. Um, you might be asking yourself the question, well, where are less? Where are the elders? They will not be with us this morning. They've decided that they've abandoned the church. Uh, they've left forever. So now you're just stuck with me and Michael. I'm kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. Uh, they are actually at an elders retreat where they're... <laughs> There was like dead silence. They were like, please be kidding. Please be kidding. Please be kidding. Uh, so they're actually at an elders retreat where they're talking about the vision and the mission of our church. And so Les asked me to step in and preach the word this morning. Now I am once again, standing before you just like I was a few weeks ago, still not in Romans chapter eight. All right. I'm still in Romans chapter eight. Seven. Now, that's not a bad thing per se. Romans chapter seven is wonderful. I just really like Romans chapter eight, but that's okay. That's okay. A few weeks ago, I talked about how we're supposed to produce the kind of fruit that Paul talks about in the book of Romans and Galatians. And this week, we're going to continue down a very similar path. We're going to talk about something very similar. Last time, I gave you what I like to call the truth of replacement where we view what God wants as more what to do, like what we should be doing instead of what we're not supposed to be doing. Uh, And this week, I want to take some time to give you even more tools to help you live the kind of life that Paul is describing to us in Romans chapter seven. And so Romans 7, 21 through 25 says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Paul uses a very powerful phrase here in verse 21. He says, this is a principle of life, meaning that it's not some, that it's something that every single human alive both has to deal with and will continue to have to deal with. See, Paul being willing to call this a principle tells us that he doesn't view this as a temporary bump in the road. He doesn't say, this is something that you can just get past. This is something that you can move on from. He says, no, this is a principle of life. It is something that you are going to have to battle your entire lives. He views it in that exact way. The wording that he uses here, he views it as something that we as believers must battle against. Paul shows us plainly in this passage that he's not willing to roll over and die, but instead he says, we are going to fight. We are going to fight against this power that seems to rise up in us, that wants to go away from God and towards sin. And we are going to fight it. We are going to fight it. Paul shows us that he's not willing to lose this battle. It's a a battle that he's going to fight with every single breath that he has And he starts this passage off talking about how he loves God's law with all of his heart, that God's law has drawn him in. And he loves it because it is God himself giving us perfect direction in our lives. It is God saying, this is the roadmap for everything that is right and good and holy. And so Paul says, I love it. 
I love God's word because he knows that it's holy and right and perfect. And because he knows that, he's not willing to just roll over and let the sin condition rule over his life. He understands that there is a power at work within himself that would draw him away from God and the law that he loves so much, a power that would draw him towards debauchery and sin. You see, Paul isn't playing a game of denial. He's not saying sin has no power here. He's looking the truth. He's looking the truth in the face. And he's saying, yeah, there is a powerful force at work within all of us, within him specifically. This is within Paul specifically. It's powerful. It's not something that we can just say, yeah, we can just ignore that. We can just brush that to the side. No, he's saying it is a powerful force that is at work within us. And that power is sin. He understands that his life has been shackled to sin from the moment that he was born. And there are, there's this question over the years that many Bible scholars have debated about whether this is talking about pre-salvation or post-salvation. Check. Oh, there we go. We're back. We're back. The latter half of verse seven seems to imply he's talking in the present tense. So this is something that he is, he is, currently struggling with. And I think the biggest indicator for us as believers of whether Paul is talking in past tense or present tense, because if he's talking in past tense, then we could say, Hey, that used to be me, but I can disregard it now. Or if he's talking in present tense, we can say, no, this is something that I'm going to fight against. This is something that's going to come up against me. And I think one of the biggest indicators that we have is a simple question. Do you right now as a believer struggle with sin? Is there a pull in you to do what is wrong? Do you know what to do? Do you have the right thing to do? And then you still don't do it? Because that's the pull that Paul is talking about. And so if it's, if it's past tense, then every single person in this room who still fights with sin doesn't know Jesus. But if it's present tense, then it makes sense that we, being in the same condition that Paul was in, are still fighting that battle. It's something that we still have to fight in our everyday life. And so it's important that we understand that this isn't Paul talking about something that has already happened. This is Paul talking about something that he is currently actively fighting against, that it is something that he has to fight. And so Paul is the same as us here, where we're struggling with sin in our everyday lives. He's struggling with sin in his everyday life. But unlike before, now he has the spirit on the inside directing him to see that God is holy and good. He is being drawn towards God and he finally sees the flaws in himself. He recognizes his own sin, his own wretchedness. You have to think about the audience that Paul is writing to here too. Paul oftentimes would write things that were specifically geared towards the audience. Give this one a shot. Maybe so. All right. Uh, so Paul is writing to the Romans. And so one of the things that the Romans were extraordinarily good at, and hang with me here, this is just facts. The Romans were really good at torture and punishment. It's something that the Romans had down to an art form. And it was an art form that they themselves were masters in, right? They spent years figuring out the best way to torture someone, both psychologically, torture someone in pain. They had this down. And so when he's writing here, we can liken this to a punishment that the Romans used to give. Now, 
there were Roman emperors who would inflict hideous punishment, hideous punishments on their people. And one of the, one of the things that they probably thought was a stroke of genius is they would bind. So they would attach together the corpse of a murder victim to the back of a murderer under penalty of death. No one was allowed to remove the body from the condemned person. And so Romans 724 refers to one of the most severe punishments of Roman law. The dead body was literally chained to the murderer face to face, hand to hand, toe to toe. The condemned man was sentenced to go through the remainder of his life chained to this decaying corpse. Keep in mind the acceleration of decay in this warm climate would have been very quick. And then try to imagine how it would be if this body were in front of you while you were eating or attempting to talk to your wife, your children, your friends. Imagine the horror as each day as the stench becomes increasingly offensive, bringing alienation from family and friends, depriving you of any intimacy with another human being. As the decaying corpse becomes rigid and stiff, when rigor mortis sets in, sitting down would become virtually impossible. Sleep escapes you as death permeates every waking moment. And each day, the stench just grows worse and becomes increasingly more offensive, both to you and everyone around you. Therefore, you are progressively more isolated from family and friends, and there seems to be no escape from the reminder of your crime. The murderer could not avoid breathing in the stench of this decaying body, which was his constant companion. It's not hard to understand that many times the condemned man would lose his mind or failing him losing his mind, he would actually die of inhaled putrefaction. And so this gruesome practice calls to mind the words of the apostle Paul in Romans 7. You see, he is saying here, this is what it's like. This is this power that's been shackled to me. This is this thing that is with me all the time. It's as if something dead were strapped to him and accompanied him wherever he went. Paul was expressing the experience of every child of God. We long for purity and holiness. And yet at times we feel helplessly bound to the dead body of our sinful nature. Even though we as new creatures in Christ know that our physical body is not, even though we are new, sorry, even though we are new creatures in Christ and know that our physical body itself is not evil, the tendency to sin is always with us. This causes us to cry out in a very similar fashion to the apostle Paul. Oh, wretched man who I, that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. So he asked the question we've all asked at some point, who can free me from the power of sin? Who can overcome this horrible person that I am? Who can snatch me from the very jaws of death itself? He acknowledges his, his own helplessness, his inability to take the stench of death from himself. He says the words many of us in this room have said, thank God, thank God that it's not up to me. Thank God that it's not my power. Thank God that I am not the one who has to do it. Thank God that the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So I can almost see this image of Paul in this moment, even writing it where he just says, where he says, I am wretched. Death has permeated every part of my life and I am consumed by it. 
And because I'm consumed by it, I have no way out except I do. Thank God that freedom, the answer to this freedom is found in Christ Jesus. There may be some of you in this room who've never done that very thing, who live chained to death. And they say, you say, I still, I, the power of sin reigns in my life freely. It has no one to contest it at all. And if you're in the, if you're in the room today and that was you, that's you, I pray that at some point today that you would echo the words of Paul. Thank God. The answer is Jesus. And so today we're going to take some time to focus on four things that can help us go to war with the power of sin that resides in the hearts of all men and women. You see, we aren't called to passively submit to the temptations that rise up in us. We aren't called to allow this sin to overtake and overcome us. We are called to wage war. We are called to wage war on the sin that would overcome us, overpower us, and cause us to fall into death. We are called to resist it, not just passively. We are called to resist it with everything that we are. And so today we're going to take a look at how we as believers do just that. How do we resist this power of sin that seems to rise up in our hearts and our spirits and says, I am master of your life. How do we recognize that the master of our life is not sin? And how do we, once we recognize that, fight against it? We're going to talk about that today. You guys might've seen a very popular video. I'm surprised I haven't knocked this over yet. You guys might've seen a very popular video going around where there's a pastor who takes a bat just like this. His is probably a baseball bat. This is a softball bat. Uh, Church softball league, anybody? 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 All right. So uh, he takes a bat just like this and he does something very uh, interesting. He tapes a Bible to it and then he brings out a dollhouse. Michael, you got that dollhouse? Oh, my bad. This illustration is not going to go like I planned. Uh, He takes that dollhouse And he takes a bat and he just wails on it. I mean, he just shatters it into pieces. And so today I thought that I would use Michael's guitar as an example. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. So I understand what he was going for, right? He takes his bat and he says, these are our weapons of war. But the reality is, while I understand what he was going for, taping a Bible to a bat and beating down the, the, the dollhouse in your life isn't really what we need to do. There are actually things that we as believers can do because we don't fight a war with these. We don't fight a war. We don't fight a war with these. The war that we fight is spiritual. There's not a physical aspect to the battle that we're fighting. Now there may be physical ailments in your body that you may be fighting against, that you may be struggling against. Those are real. Absolutely. But the war that we fight is not physical. It is spiritual. You see, while I understand what he was trying to get across, I also know that this war we fight isn't carnal. It's not flesh and blood. It's spiritual. This bat right here, it wouldn't do anything against the strongholds of the enemy. The weapons we use against this power inside of us can't be physical. Instead, we'll be a lot better off understanding that our war isn't 
physical. It's not with a company. It's not with a political party. It's not with another person. Our war is about waging war against the devil and his tactics. And we have to be ready. We have to understand that that is our war, that our war is spiritual. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 tells us a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, it's really easy for us to point our fingers at people of this world, but it is so much more important for us to remember that the things that this war is bigger than this world. It's not about what we can see. It's bigger than the flesh and the blood that we face every day. It would be easy for us to use our own earthly weapons but it would be ineffectual. It wouldn't do anything. Our weapons are spiritual. As we talk about being prepared for war, I just want to mention this very quickly. We don't have time to go into every piece of the armor of God today because we would be here till, you know, like tomorrow. Uh, but as homework, that's right. Everybody's getting homework today. Everybody said, woo. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys are getting some homework. I want you to go home and I want you to read Ephesians 6. And I want you to look at the different pieces of the armor of God. And then I want you to ask yourself this question. How can you live a life completely covered in them? How can you look at Ephesians 6, take a look at the armor of God and say, how can I live a life where I am fully and totally equipped with the armor of the mighty God? So with that in mind, with the, with the fact that we are not waging a war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, against rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Let's talk about what it looks like to wage a war against the unseen world. And here's, here's the key. Here's the key to all of this. We can't me and you, it's not possible for us to effectively wage a war against this power of sin in our lives. Now, the way that we wage this war isn't by our own power, it's instead by embracing the gifts that God has given us through Jesus to be able to fight this fight, to win this war. We can use these gifts that he's given us. Second Corinthians 10, three through six says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. So knowing that we aren't facing off against flesh and blood, and we aren't waging war as humans would wage war, we can look at the first of four ways that we wage war against the power of sin in our own lives. Ephesians six seventeen. This is one of the parts of the armor of God. We're going to go through a few of them. We just don't have time to go through all of them. Ephesians six seventeen. take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, when we take the time to value scripture and take the time to spend time in God's word daily, that is one of the most effective weapons. If not, the most effective weapon that we have. I remember 
I came to know Jesus when I was some, somewhere between eight and 10. I don't remember the exact day. Some of you do. I wish I did, but I don't. Uh, but I do remember that I came to know him when I was like between eight and 10 years old. And then I did what a lot of people do. And I didn't fully understand this gift that I'd been given. And I walked through a lot of my middle school and high school years, really trying to figure out like, well, who is God? What is this? How should this change my life? And when I was 17 years old, God really grabbed a hold of my heart and he just completely and totally transformed me. And so the very first thing that I did is I read the Bible all the way through. And if you've never taken the time to do that, I would encourage you today. It is so beneficial. It is so beneficial to your walk as a believer. It is so beneficial to your walk as a person. It is beneficial to sit and to actually read the word of God. You see, this was one of the most transformational things that has ever happened to me was I took God's word and I read it. And I read it through in a very quick time period. It was, I probably took me like two weeks because I would just go to work and go home and read. And I would go to work and go home and read school to school, work, read school, work, read sometimes read at school. It's fine. All right. So this was, it was transformational though. It laid a foundation for everything that came after it. And it gave me this rock solid foundation to be able to step into the call to ministry. It gave me this rock solid foundation to step into this internship at my church. It was transformational and I needed it in my life. And so we need God's word to be able to win this war. I remember uh, in my young adulthood, I was probably, I was early twenties. I was married at the time and I was sitting at home and I hadn't read my Bible for like four or five days, right? It just kind of like sat in my room collecting dust. And I just know like these four or five days every day, I'm like, man, I got to read, I got to read God's word. I got to read God's word. I got to read God's word. And so finally I'm sitting at home and I'm not doing anything. And I stand up and I was like, all right, all right, Lord, you got me. I'm going to go read your word for you. And I get about halfway to our bedroom and this thought like lightning strikes me. And it just, it's very simply, you don't read my word for me. You read it for you. And from that day forward, it completely changed the way that I approached God's word. Because before I was like, this is something I have to do. This is a task. Like I have to do this to be right with God. But the reality was this, I wasn't reading it for him. Me reading his word didn't change God at all, but it transformed my life. It transformed the way that I thought about God. It transformed the way that I knew God. It transformed the way that I interacted with other people. God's word was transformational. And so we have to be willing to be transformed by the power of God, by his word, to be able to, to be able to wage this war against sin, because it is our most powerful weapon. It encourages us. It corrects us. It emboldens us to share him with the world. It is God himself speaking to us through his word. And it also, it renews us. The longer we sit under it, the more we can rest in the renewal, the renewing power of God's word. Ephesians 5.26 says to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. This is God saying, I use the word who is Jesus to wash you. 
And so it is a renewal of our faith and our mindset to be able to say, I'm going to focus on God's word. First Peter 1.23 says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We need to be abiding in what gives us life. What is the main thing that sin does? What is its main goal? Its main goal is to kill you. Sin's goal is to make sure that you are dead. But if we abide in God's word that cannot perish and offers this everlasting life, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, we should be abiding. That means that we are staying in, we are sitting in, we are resting in this word that gives us life. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is surgical. It is not a club to be used to bash yourself or other people. No, it is a, it is a scalpel. It is a scalpel used to perform surgery. It is a scalpel used to separate what you don't need from what you need. It is a scalpel that will expose the things that God needs to get rid of. God's word is not a a bat to be used to crush people and yourself. No, God's word is a scalpel. It's a sword that is sharp enough to separate the good from the bad. It is sharp enough to separate what we need to cut out of our lives. And the second thing that we, we can use here, and this goes hand in hand with God's word, is we need to be praying on a daily basis. It needs to be a consistent part of our day and not just even a small time set out for it, right? I think that those are important. I think times where you sit and you say, God, we're, I'm just gonna pray right here, right now. I think those are super important. But I also think that we should be in constant communion with God. I think that this should be something that we make a daily habit. And we should be, not only when we're reading our word, that should also be a time where we're praying the word over people. We're praying the word over ourselves, over our family, over our friends. We are taking the time to pray God's word. You see, scripture gives us the guidelines for how we should pray. And Paul understands that player, player, prayer, plays a vital role in the life of the believer. First Thessalonians, first Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul is writing to the believers in Thessalonica to teach them what to do as the days draw to a close. He's specifically referencing what they should be doing as they await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another translation says that it should, we should pray without ceasing. Now, this doesn't mean that you lock yourself into a closet and you never, ever come out. Your family would miss you, most of you. Your family would miss most of you. Uh, I'm kidding. We'd miss all of you. It means that you're in constant communion with the Spirit of God. It means that you're never not listening for the sound of His voice. It means that you're always responding to what he's saying instead of reacting to what's happening around you and to you. One of the things that makes Paul's letters so powerful is as he's, is he's praying for the people as he's writing to them. As he writes, he just 
he just will spurt out a prayer. He's saying, I'm praying for joy for you. I'm praying for perseverance. I'm praying that you will find the Lord in this trouble and this torment that you're going through. I'm praying for you. A cool study that you could do sometime is if you go through and see when Paul is offering advice and when he's giving, when he's telling people, this is, this is the word of God. This is the things that you need to follow. And then when he goes, when he, when he flips to when he's telling people the many ways that he's praying for them, it's kind of cool the way that you see Paul just kind of like slip in and out of it. He does it very swiftly and it's just kind of a neat thing to, to find. Uh, and uh, it would, it's a cool study to be able to say he switched from prayer to advice. Uh, now this doesn't mean that we don't have a specific time of focused prayer. It doesn't mean that we don't give the Lord the time and respect he deserves in prayer. That prayer has a place and it should be a large part of our lives. It helps us line up and get in sync with who he is. When you think like Jesus, it's easier to follow Jesus. And if you are consistently in conversation with Jesus, then you are going to start to understand the mind of Christ because the Bible even says, I have given you the mind of Christ. Right? And so we should be spending time with him so that we can change the way that we interact with all of the people in the world. And prayer is so impactful because it changes our own hearts. It takes us from a place, it takes us from a place of almost this negativity to a place of joy, to a place of peace, to a place of abiding in him. Ephesians 6, 18, this is the very tail end as he's giving the armor of God. And it says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. One of the cool things about what Paul does in uh, Ephesians six is he models the armor after a Roman legionnaire. And the reason that he does this is because while he's writing Rome, like while he's writing, uh, sorry, while he's writing Ephesians, he is, he is shackled basically, not directly, but he is watched all the time by Roman legionnaires because he is in prison in Rome as he's writing the book of Ephesians. And so he's looking at these, at these worldly items and he's saying, man, these guys are equipped, they're dressed, they're ready, they are, they are ready for it. And he says, we should be like that. We should be ready for an attack at any time. But there's something interesting in Ephesians. He's missing a piece of Roman armor, a piece of Roman armor that they actually wouldn't have gone anywhere without. In fact, at the time, it probably would have been one of the most important pieces of armor that they had. It was the spear. He doesn't mention the spear. The spear would have been their main weapon for combat. It would have been the main thing that they used. And so I believe that it's not actually missing. He just doesn't quite finish what he say. He doesn't quite finish saying the prayer is the spear. I think he just kind of thinks people will just get it because he's writing to people who would understand that there's Roman occupation all over the place at this point. And so we should be using prayer as our spear, as our primary weapon. It's the main weapons that the legionnaires would have used. Keeping that in mind, it doesn't make sense that Paul would have left it out, which is why I believe that prayer is the spear. It's one of the main weapons that we should use in this battle against sin and death. This power that's inside of us, this struggle, 
It's going to be a lot harder if you never take the time to spend it with the Lord. If you're always, if you're always over here and you're saying, I, I'll, I'll pray tomorrow. I'll connect with God tomorrow. I'll spend personal time tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. So you should say, I'm going to allocate this time and I'm going to use prayer as a weapon against the enemy because prayer is important. Prayer is powerful. I I would bet that each person in this room is the result of a prayer. You are the result of somebody, uh, maybe a, a father, a mother, a grandmother, somebody praying for you to be here today. I guarantee it. Prayer is one of our most powerful weapons against the power of sin working inside of us. Les talked about this, this next point last week, so I won't spend too much time on it, uh, but it's an important part of our faith. Biblical community is a major weapon that we use. Everything, everything feels worse when you're alone. And God didn't design us to be alone. God designed us to do life together. I want you to think about this with me. When was Eve deceived? When she was alone. When did Elisha succumb to depression? When he thought he was alone. The remedy was that God reminded him there were more believers who hadn't bowed their knees. And he gave him an apprentice who traveled with him. And what does Paul do at the end of Ephesians 6, where he's writing about being fully equipped with the armor of God? He asks the believers to pray for him. And he also reminds them of, and I'm going to say this name wrong, and that's okay, Tysesis, who has been a faithful helper. He reminds them he's not alone. And he reminds them that they also shouldn't be alone. Paul often asked for specific people by name, people who he could encourage and who could encourage them. The apostles always sent people out by at least two so that they weren't alone. And they learned that model from when Jesus sent them out two by two. The church is the place for us to connect with other believers. That's Sunday mornings. That's right here. This should be a time that you're connecting with people. This should be a time that you're being open and honest. But here's the reality. Sunday mornings, we're here for an hour, an hour and a half. We don't really have the time to dive in like we want to. And so you should be finding other places within biblical community to plug into. You could plug into our kids and our youth teams. We come together to share the gospel to young people. You could plug into our home groups. These home groups are designed so that we can do life together. And if you're not in a home group, Michael mentioned in the video, it's not too late. We would love for you to jump in and get connected. One of the most vulnerable vulnerable places that you can be as a believer is isolated and alone. And if that's you today, if you're sitting in this room and you're like, man, I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody to encourage me in my faith. I don't have anybody. Change that today. Change that not tomorrow, not next week, today. Because there are plenty of people in this room who would love to connect, who would love to show you that you're not alone. And you can sign up for our home groups and get connected and go this week. And it's such a great time. And I've got really great news. If you read all of those plaques back there for home groups, I think only one of them doesn't mention a hot meal. So uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it's good food. So you should come to some home groups. 
that shouldn't be the main reason, but it's a bonus. Uh, if that's you today, if you would say, I'm alone, we can change that. We can change that in a second because we can connect you with a home group. Now, finally, we're at the end, which means that we get to read Romans 8, 1 and 2. And everybody said, woo! I finally get to go into Romans 8, 1 and 2. And this is our final weapon against the war that is within us. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The weapon, I'm, the weapon I want to mention today is this. The power that we've received as believers is far more powerful than the power of sin that tempts us on a daily basis. You see, we no longer live in a life where we belong to sin. That doesn't mean that it's not still going to try and take us. That doesn't mean that we won't be tempted. That doesn't mean that we won't fail. That doesn't mean that sin isn't a powerful force. What it does mean is that the one who set us free is so much more powerful. It means that the resurrection power living in every single believer is enough to overcome death, hell, and the grave. We have access to these weapons of war for one reason and one reason alone. And that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we didn't have that, none of these weapons would be of any use to us. This is what gives us access to these weapons of war. It's his spirit living in us that gives us access to the arsenal of weapons that we have for war. Let's look at the contrast here. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Right? So he says, this is the power that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, and will you show us the next slide? Because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We are free because of the power of the life-giving spirit. That doesn't mean that sin doesn't still play a part because we all know in this room that we're fighting with it every day, but we recognize that it's not the overcoming power that his power is. And this is simply the good news of the gospel, that the power of Jesus Christ is beyond any power of sin. The Holy Spirit working in you is empowering you to overcome this sin that would try to overpower you. When you leave this place, I want you to leave with this understanding that the Holy Spirit's power is at work within you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living and breathing in us as believers. Now, I mentioned this a little bit ago, but one thing I, wanna, I want to come back to is this simple fact. There might be some of you in this room that would say, I don't have that power. I've never submitted my life to Christ. And because I've never submitted my life to Christ, I just am a slave to the power of sin. Today is a day that you can change that. I mentioned that you could connect with community in a moment. And that's because there is no, there is no wait. We want to connect you with other believers. And today, if you would say, I don't know Jesus, I've never met Jesus. I've heard the name because you've said it a few hundred times today 
but I don't know who he is. See, if that's you in this place, today is the day. Today is the day to say, I'm tired of being knocked around by sin. I'm tired of being overcome and overpowered by sin. And I want to understand that God's law is holy and good and perfect. And I want to be drawn in. Today is the day that I want to submit to the power of Christ. And if that's you today, I want you to meet me down front while we're on our last song. And I would just love to pray for you. And maybe you're in this room and you say, man, I, I, I've submitted to Christ. I've done that already. But I still feel like I'm being overpowered. And let me encourage you. That happens. Maybe that didn't sound like much of an encouragement, but trust me, it is. It happens. But if you take these weapons that we gave you today, if you take time to spend in God's word, if you take time in prayer, if you take time to find community that is going to love you and that is going to show you the love of the father, trust me, it's not going to disappear, but it will get easier. And that condemnation that you feel all the time because you can't do what's right because you're always doing what's wrong. You're going to feel that lift as you start to line up with God's word, as you start to line up in prayer, as you start to line up in community, it changes the way that we that we're built even. It's transformational. It's not just a change. It is a transformation. We are no longer the old creature. We are now new in Christ. And so if that's you today, if you say, I've, I've accepted Jesus, I've met Jesus. Jesus is my savior, but I've never really understood this power that's supposed to be working in me. I'd love to pray for you this morning. Let me pray for everybody. Father God, we just come before you today and thank you that we had uh, the ability to dive into your word today. Lord, we're so thankful for the incredible uh, power that you have given us through your Holy Spirit and that you have allowed us to just continue to come together to lift you up and give you praise. God, help us to live lives that are not passively submitted to sin, but are instead actively at war with the power inside of us, understanding that there is a greater power inside of us that helps us wage this war. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.